Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I'm Aaron Schweitzer, publisher of The Source Weekly with the irrepressible co-host Laurel Bronze. This podcast is powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. Listeners tune in to find out how our community is adapting to living in our new normal. This week, we are chatting with U.S. Representative Cliff Bentz. He is the representative for Oregon's second congressional district, which covers two-thirds of the, our entire state, including Bent. He was a member of the Oregon House of Representatives from 2008 to 2018 and a member of the Oregon Senate from 2018 to 2020. He grew up in ranching communities in Eastern Oregon and currently owns a 100-acre alfalfa farm. He earned his JD from Lewis and Clark Northwestern School of Law and then returned to Eastern Oregon to specialize in agricultural, water, and property law. In 2019, while serving in the Oregon Senate, he helped lead the Republican walkout against the cap and trade bill to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in Oregon. I was curious to start off, how are you adapting to life as a politician in uh, Washington, D.C. now? Well, I'll tell you, I, I went to Washington, D.C. to, to uh, see what Congress was truly like, and, and I've learned over the past month and a few days that uh, on the one hand, it's, it's similar in many respects to Oregon's legislature, but in so many other ways, it's extraordinarily different. Uh, I will I'll tell you the, the, the distance is, is interesting. As you know, it, I live in Ontario, so it took about six, seven hours to get from, from Ontario over to Salem. And it takes about about seven or eight hours to get back to Washington, D.C. So sure. the travel travels a little different because you're flying instead of driving uh, so that's that's slightly different but but uh, those sheer scale of people in in other words there's 435 congressmen and women and and there were only there were only uh, 90 of us in Salem uh, 60 uh, representatives and 30 senators and of course we have the pesky governor you mentioned earlier but uh, the, sure. the, the the that we've got so many so many more people that you have to get to know and and you got to get to know them and it's really a challenge particularly when people wear masks i'll tell you it's a right a challenge yeah representative how 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 does your staff compare now to the staff you had before like when you when you get to washington it must be much larger for you well i had one staff member here in oregon full-time and now i have between 16 and, and 17 it's, wow. it's wonderful to have help and I've got some great help. I have, uh, as, as well, you, you know, Nick Strader, he's a good guy. Kaylin mm -hmm. Pay is my deputy back in DC. She's great. The, the folks are, that I'm working with are, are, are all really hardworking, very dedicated, and I'm very, very lucky to have them. You were um, appointed to the House Natural Resources Committee, which matches well with all of your experience in land management and agricultural. Given that the federal government owns 53% of all the land in Oregon, mostly Forest Service, what are some of your perspectives on how this land should be managed now that you have more leverage over it? Well, you're correct. I was appointed to the, to the Natural Resource Committee, and I think I'm going to be on the Water Subcommittee and, and perhaps, perhaps the Public Land Subcommittee. We don't really know yet. Uh, however, I'll be, the, uh, I'll, be in, I'll be in the minority. And uh, of course, I'm, I'm accustomed to being in the minority since I was in the minority all 12 years I was in Salem, not one day in the majority. 
so exactly how much I'll have to say about how public land is, 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 is or is not managed is a real question. I, I will tell you this though, one of the things I've learned both in the legislature when, when I had uh, my Senate district, which was, which was large and, and now this, this district, which is much, much larger, is the incredible differences between places like Bend, which by the way, Bend is beautiful, Sisters is beautiful, Redmond, that whole central Oregon area is absolutely gorgeous. And it's, it's but I was on, I was on a, a Zoom call. Uh, uh, I've been on a bazillion Zoom calls just like you. And, uh, and uh, people from all over the United States know where Bend is. And uh, they, they, they love Bend. And, and for good reason, it's beautiful. The, the challenge in dealing with public land that surrounds Bend is making sure you, you get it right because you guys' focus on recreation is far greater than, than is the case as you go almost, almost any direction. And it's not sure. quite right. Down in the Ashland area there's, uh, in, in Medford, there's, there's equal pressure, I think, uh, for more, more attention paid to recreation. And, and I'll just tell you, um, uh, it's, it's, it, that, that's, that area deserves an enormous amount of careful thought because, you know, cattle and, and uh, hunting do a certain amount of damage to land, but people can do a lot more. And so you have to be really cognizant of how we're going to manage this ever increasing number of people. But at the same time, uh, Bend runs on recreation. So um, one of the challenges for me is to make sure I understand what Bend wants. What do you see as your biggest priorities for your district? Well, of course, the, the, the first one is trying to recover from COVID and to get people vaccinated. That's the most important thing. I mean, it just dwarfs everything else. Uh, so uh, I haven't gotten, I have not uh, gotten my shots yet. I, I will get them as soon as I, you know, they reach the age level where I can point at my age and say, hey, that, that's, that's why I'm getting the shot. You, you don't um, have, have to tell us when that level's coming. We, you know, <laughs> no. <laughs> it'll be a long. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the bottom line is it's COVID, and, and the second one after that, and, and it is fire. A fire is that got to be the you guys, particularly. Well, actually, everybody in the district is uh, subject to fire. I was looking at some uh, materials this morning that show uh, how we can measure the amount of carbon uh, in forests that surround cities like, like, like let's say sisters or black beef and and we perhaps i hope can start telling people the degree of risk they're they're running by just living where they're living and this is something we should be doing right now so that people understand that after covid fire has got to be right right up there water's the third thing and of course i've focused a lot of my walk practice on water a lot of the time in legislature so i look forward to trying to continue to help Central Oregon with its um, with its water challenges and and to that end, I hope we can find some additional funding for your I think it's the Pilot View Pipeline project. That's a that's a wonderful addition to your to you guys' uh, space and it needs uh, it needs to be fully funded. You know, right below COVID, probably on the uh, media radar is the discussion about the divisiveness that the country's experiencing in in their national politics and as a freshman rep being kind of thrust into that um, spotlight, how, 
what are your initial thoughts about how we overcome that divisiveness? Do you, do you see a path forward for that or anything that's changing as you start in with this under this new administration? Well, uh, I would just say, um, is, is I, I do an enormous amount of reading. If, if I, you can tell by looking behind me here, a book, books, my, this room is filled with books. I subscribe to, I don't know how many different periodicals. Um, I, I mean, I, I read all the time and, and, I, and I try to keep up as, as best I can with electronic media, but that's, that's just almost impossible. But I'll, what, I have, what I have noticed is that the media trends toward what's most exciting. And that's generally not people getting along. Uh, it's generally just the opposite. And so there's kind of a, some odd reinforcement uh, going on with with uh, things that drive people apart, and and I and I wish that were not the case. I wish we would be focusing on kumbaya as opposed to all the all the negatives that people seem that seem to draw the attention of of social media and, and perhaps uh, not perhaps and of course the press. So what's happened, as you well know, is in your space, is um, politics has become entertainment, and uh, everybody has their cell phone in their pocket and every other minute can be looking if they want to be at people arguing over things in Washington DC or, or wherever. Um, and and it's, it, does, that, does that lend itself to why we're more divisive perhaps? Uh, there also, there, there's some other things. The, the, the more, the more uh, what, involvement of more people, the more challenging it is to try to figure out how to, how to get everybody together. And for years in my law practice, I worked with different families trying to bring them together to get the, the family ranch or the family farm or the family business moved from one generation to the next. And just bringing 20 or 30 people together was a, an incredible job. I, I, I used to have a team of people I would bring in and, and the last one we hired was a psychiatrist for myself to, because the, the challenges were so great. I'm, I'm joking, by the way, I never did hire this. Uh, but the, the point is that this really, really, really hard. Uh, and so uh, the problems that we should be focusing on, how about China? There's a good one. That, that does not lend itself to easy solution. Or, or how about talking about Medicare for a minute? We've got to fund Medicare, but man, is it expensive for those next generations coming along. So each of these problems really, really, really difficult. And it's a lot easier to talk about people not getting along than trying to figure out how to solve problems like that. So anyway, I haven't answered the question very well, but I'll just tell you uh, I'm, I'm going to DC to try to make a difference on the ground. And that means reducing COVID, getting people vaccinated, getting kids back in school and doing our best to reduce the chances of, of little cities burning up. I'm, I'm just curious if you find as you <clears throat> interact uh, in Washington amongst people from across South, do you find that that divisiveness is <clears throat> a little lower than what, what it's projected at in, in national media? I mean, when you're interacting or, or are there kind of these, these walls that seem almost insurmountable? I would strongly recommend going, to, to answer your question, I would strongly recommend that people go look at the, what my first judiciary committee meeting, which just happened last week. Sure. Go, go, look, go look at what happened in that meeting. Uh, to get a glimpse of what you just said and look at the exchanges between the people in that, the, the, the congressmen and women in that meeting and, and listen to the 
outrage and shrillness um, of the of the exchanges. It was quite an education for a brand new person. I did I did not choose to testify uh, on any of those issues because it it's been my approach to be super careful in trying to learn first and um, and listen. And uh, but please, I, I would recommend it. People can go online and 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 pull down the first judiciary meeting, which happened last week. It was supposed to be just to adopt the rules, and uh, it turned into a couple of hours of, of exchanges. I, and that answers your question. It doesn't answer it what, the way I think any of us really would have wanted. And by the way, it, I, I'm not suggesting that people shouldn't share their, their feelings and, and, and um, be pretty direct in how they say things. I'm okay with that. Uh, but uh, man, I'll tell you, there's, a, there's this gonna be a real challenge to try to get through a lot of what's before us to get at the problems we're facing. Well, well, we'll put a link in the, we'll try to put a link with the uh, story and podcast to go to that so people can get a firsthand look. So well, I appreciate thank, that. Thank you. I think it's a great idea. So given that the media system that you just described is increasingly divided and there's almost like these two different versions of history, depending on what one's political affiliation is, um, we should discuss your perspectives on the Capitol riots and your vote to object to the election results in Pennsylvania. So a large majority of Republicans in the US believe that the election was stolen. And can you explain the rationale behind this belief and talk about if there's any steps that we should be taking at a federal level to ensure that elections are more secure and, and that more people have the right to vote? Well, let me simply say first, so the record is extraordinarily clear. Uh, I object to any kind of violence in, in, the, in, the, in the sphere of protest. I support political protest. I do not support violence. And that's been the position I took uh, back when you may recall the occupation of the Malheur bird, bird refuge. Right. I took an absolute uh, position opposing any violence whatsoever. And then throughout the course of this summer, I took a, a, a absolutely uh, clear position opposing the violence in Portland and other cities across the United States. I, I, I wanna make it very clear. I support the right to protest. I do not support stepping over the line into violence. That's simply wrong and, 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 and reprehensible. I condemn it uh, totally. The, and watching the, the mob invade our capital is one of the saddest moments of my life, uh, watching that happen. We were all, I was not on the floor, I was, in my, I was in my office at the time. We'd been asked by Speaker Pelosi to stay off the floor unless we were going to speak so we could reduce the chances of COVID transmission. So we were in our office as, as we watched with horror as, and saw what was going on. Um, uh, on the, what I had done, and it, I listened carefully uh, before I'd vote, People come in and say, how are you gonna vote? I go, I don't know yet. I'm gonna listen and see what we're going to do. What my team and I had done uh, was go through carefully the six states that we understood were going to draw an objection. Uh, the first one was going to be Arizona and the mob came through, the, through the, the windows and doors and everything in the middle of that Arizona argument. So we went back afterwards, five hours later and uh, I voted against the objection when it came to Arizona. Why? Because my team and I had determined the only foundation for 
an objection to any of those six states was if, if they had violated the Constitution. And we determined that the only one that had done so that had been violative of in its electoral process, excuse me, its election process uh, was uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, that was the reason for my vote. And, and you can look at my press release. I've called out exactly what I did as clearly as I could in it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, getting back to a more local, Bend, Bend has become a Zoom town. We can't do a single podcast without using that phrase regarding the uh, state of our city. Um, what are your thoughts about the increased role that Bend is playing in your district? And um, it's, it seems to have an ever-increasing influence, populations exploding. How does that affect the way you're going to be representing the, your district? Right. Well, before COVID, uh, my plan following uh, winning the primary had been to spend uh, this, most of my time in Bend and in Medford. That's where I was. We we're going to move over there. I was going to move over there and just go from place to place to place to place so that I could build upon the foundation I already enjoy when it comes to knowledge about, about Bend and Central Oregon. On the one hand, I have far less knowledge about the Medford Grants Pass area. Uh, the reason I know Central Oregon so well is my family is, it has, we've been in that space for years. I practice law in that space. My sister lives out in Crooked River Ranch. Uh, the, I, I don't know how many weekends I've spent on Mount Bachelor skiing very badly, I might add. Uh, but I, but I, I, I know that space. I have great friends that live out of Black Butte, great friends that live out at Sisters, great friends in, in Prineville. I, I'm, I'm serious. That, that area is hugely important to this state. And frankly, I think it's important to this nation. It's a beautiful, beautiful space. And, uh, and, and by the way, I assisted uh, when I, uh, in, in 2017 in putting $50 million in the transportation package of which I was co-vice chair, but it might as well have been co-chair. Uh, I made sure we put the 50 million into your Cooley interchange. And that was the foundation for the $60 million that came along from the feds later. And you need another 150 or something to finish it. And, 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 and that's just, as you well know, uh, you're never done with the transportation system. It's a, a constant right. effort. And I had hoped to get on transportation infrastructure in, in uh, Washington, D.C. I did not get on that committee, but had I been on that committee, even now, I'll be doing what I can to try to help Central Oregon uh, manage its uh, significant traffic challenges. But, you, sure. but Central Oregon is an absolutely key part of this state, and um, I'm so happy it's part of my district. Do you feel like there's anything the federal government could do to increase internet access in this area you know with all these telecommuters a lot of people say that you know uh, we need something that can reach out into the rural areas and that maybe it could be something like happened uh you know post great depression with energy electricity the rural electric bill uh linda johnson so those those concepts uh are ones that i want to pursue, uh, of course, to the extent that we can keep people in their homes on, the, on using Zoom, they're not out on the already really crowded roads. So sure, can the federal government do something? Yes, with that transportation bill coming along, uh, these are the kind of things we should be talking about. Hey, we can keep this many cars off the road if we have this much better uh, broadband. And so, and then and as far as rural areas go, we, in my district, my Senate district, before I went into the House uh, of Representatives now, uh, looked to see what areas in Oregon needed that kind of help. 
And we would be building on that kind of foundation to make sure kids and families and businesses in the rural areas enjoy what now is it? It's you better have that kind of access or you're just out of luck. You've got to have that kind of access. So tell us a little bit more about the House Judiciary. You mentioned that you'd had a meeting so far. And we've been talking a lot about Section 230 regarding social media, which is something that you may be called to weigh in on in the future. So it's been a really hot topic in connection with the Capitol riots. And the argument against it is that it gives social media companies too much protection and that they should be held legally responsible when their users incite violence or promote racism. Um, but the conservative side has different arguments against it. What are your thoughts around social media accountability? Well, I'm, I'm so fortunate. I, I mean, I'd say that again in a few months, but uh, I, I was put on the intellectual property subcommittee and the antitrust subcommittee and judiciary. And I, I am happy for that. Uh, now, I'll tell you that that's not that's not those aren't the those aren't the classes I took in law school, and that's not the area I've studied or or practiced within, uh, in my in my years of 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 being a general practitioner in Little Ontario, Oregon, in my little ten lawyer law firm, uh, of which by the way I'm no longer a part. But uh, I look forward so much to to learning about how we best address the issues you just raised because they are really really important. Uh, but I know one thing about intellectual property, it's complicated and antitrust is worse. Uh, actually, I'm not sure which one is the worst. They're really, really tough areas. And, uh, but I so look forward to trying to sort them out and reach a point where free speech is protected, but at the same time, we don't have damage being done to people uh, as, as it's so easy now. It's so easy to ruin somebody. It's so easy. And, and we've got to figure out how to how to how to control that in a way that's consistent with our constitutional rights but at the same time doesn't put people so much at risk yeah it's such a big issue these days and and almost impossible for anybody coming into elected office to actually come from a background where they do have experience and you know intellectual property rights and uh monopolies and understand the trends that are happening at Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, social. I mean, I don't envy you the position, but I do know from a media standpoint, and what we talk about here, Laurel and I all the time, is that, you know, from a publication standpoint and a traditional media standpoint, you know, it's a it's incredible to us that those social media companies get away with a liability uh, waiver that they do as they currently stand. So I think all of us are looking for some kind of modification. I but in the same way, none of us are experts and I don't envy you your position. Well, I'll just tell you that was the, what the issue you just raised, uh, you and Laurel just raised is exactly the issue that I discussed with the ranking member. That is the, the you know, the one at the top of the Republican heap in judiciary uh, just, uh, just four days ago. And it was the first conversation, a great guy. And we spoke with him at some length about it. Uh, he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to learn. And so I'm pulling together the books and, and documents and the white papers, and I'm starting to do that. And, and um, I, I, you know, this shows you, I'm not sure what, but I'm, I'm very happy to have this chance to, 
to learn and, and to do something to try to address the issue you just described. Yeah, well, good luck. Your legal background at least is a little, a little bit of an edge in uh, trying to get a handle on these things. And I, 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 it's going to be quite the task ahead of you. And before you go, um, Congressman, do you have any last thoughts or things that we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with listeners? Well, too many to count. How's that? <laughs> I just want to thank, I want to thank your listeners for uh, giving me the chance to to serve in in Congress. It's been a lifelong dream. Um, it's it's been different than I would have ever predicted the first month and however many days, uh, but uh, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. And uh, I just want to promise all of all of you, I'll do my best for you. Well, I appreciate you giving us the time and um, reaching out to our listeners and uh, good luck with everything you've got ahead of you. It's a steep learning curve. And these are, I think, by any measure, pretty crazy times. So uh, good luck in Washington. Thank you. Thank, thank you both so much. Thank you for the opportunity. You're both doing great. You bet.